stuff. So why don't you grab your Bible, turn with me to Ezekiel uh, chapter 20 for today's study. Ezekiel chapter 20. We'll look at these chapters in depth, uh, of course, on uh, Wednesday night. But, um, but I want you guys to take a look at a few verses here in Ezekiel 20. And the thing is, there's something about this that's gonna be familiar to many of you if you've been around Athey Creek. Uh, but there's also a notion that's in here that many people have missed. Even, even some of our more Bible prophecy buffs out there, you might've missed something that I think we need to make sure we know as part of God's plan that people have overlooked. And Ezekiel 20 is one of the main mentions of something that might be a little different than what you uh, know. Now, let's talk about that just for a second. What we're gonna talk about here in Ezekiel 20 is the regathering of Israel after God scatters them over the world. The scattering and the regathering of Israel. And a lot of the end of Ezekiel, from this point on in Ezekiel, we're gonna be talking a lot about this because Ezekiel has much to say. Now I'll tell you what's exciting about this. Uh, in the Bible, there's prophecies uh, uh, that had to do with the first coming of Christ. There's prophecies that have to do with the second coming of Christ. Um, and so a lot of the prophecies of the Bible have already been fulfilled, many of them, if not most of them. There were 300 specific prophecies about the first coming of Jesus when he was born in Bethlehem, a babe there, and Mary and Joseph, the whole scene. That was all prophesied literally in the Bible. In a, and there's over 300 direct prophecies about Christ's first coming. Now, I have a question for you. If we take those Bible prophecies about his first coming literally, how should we take the prophecies about Jesus' second coming in the Bible? I think we should take them literally. Part of what I'm gonna do again today, again, we've talked about this before, but there's a whole uh, eschatology, that is the study of end times and the end of the world as it relates to the Bible. Um, there's a whole thought out there that says, ah, you can't take anything literally in the Bible. When you read the book of Revelation, no, don't take anything literally. Uh, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, none of these things are literal to be taken. And there's a huge group of Christians that kind of have that view. It's the amillennialists and the preterists. Now let's, let's remind you, this is an in-house debate. Good Christian people, I think, have different views on this whole thing. But I do believe this is an important thing for us to talk about and discuss. Pastor Brett, why don't you talk about all the different views of end times? You should be talking about pre-trib, post-trib, amillennial, sawmillennial, whatever, you know, a sawmill, amill, whatever. Well, the reason I don't share all those views is because I don't agree with them. I think that they're misguided. I can understand, and I have studied them at length, uh, the various views, pre-wrath, pre-millennial, um, pre post-millennial. There's all these different views about things that have happened. And, and largely the church today in, in the world is a little apathetic about the whole thing. Who cares? Whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen. God knows what he's gonna do. I'm just supposed to love Jesus and live this life and then call it good. That's what I do. Um, the problem with that little uh, crazy little world view that you hold, it's totally wrong. God says, watch, be sober, vigilant, be not ignorant concerning my people Israel, the Bible says. Like over and over, if you read your Bible, it says you're not supposed to have that passive, eh, whatever, it's all gonna work out. Like that's just not a godly Christian mindset. The, the people that say, oh, it's all figurative and much of that stuff's already happened and so whatever, um, it's a cavalier attitude about something God says be very careful with. Another reason why I'm so into Bible prophecy is because one fourth of this book is Bible prophecy. 
If you throw that out and say, yeah, I'd run into Bible prophecy, then you're basically ripping out one fourth of your Bible saying, yeah, whatever, we're not into that. We're gonna talk about the other stuff that we like. Is that a good Christian behavior to throw out a fourth of the Bible? Um, and that's why going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, you're, you're sort of forced to cover things that may not be talked about. You'll never hear a Catholic church priest do a, a message or a teaching on Ezekiel 20. Because in their mind, it's all figurative and it's already happened or it's, it doesn't matter to you and me as, as Christians or whatever. And, and the problem is, it, it, it's sad because they're, they're saying, we don't take those things literally when really these amazing prophecies of Ezekiel are happening right now in our time. These are exciting times to be a Christian. See, that's what's different. You know, the book of Revelation is mostly about things that are gonna happen in the future, most of it. You know, basically chapters six through 19, or six to the very end of Revelation is all about the future, even in our time period. A lot of the Old Testament, you know, there's scriptures about things that would happen in the first coming of Christ. But one thing that I love about the book of Ezekiel is he deals with prophecies that many of them are happening as we speak right now. And that's what makes Ezekiel really relevant and exciting and important. One of the biggest things Ezekiel spends time talking about is the regathering of the Jews in the land of Israel. Arguably the most important essential ingredient to fulfilling Bible prophecy in the last days. Now, I gotta give my amillennialist friends a break, and here's why. I can see why people became amillennialists back 500 years ago, I really can. Um, when you look at the Bible and you see all these specific prophecies about the nation Israel and God's people in Jerusalem, in Israel, if you lived 500 years ago, where did the Jews live? Well, definitely not in Jerusalem and not in Israel. They didn't exist as a nation. They were scattered all over the world. And, and so the, what happened was, is the theologians like Martin Luther, by the way, Martin Luther uh, really had a hatred for the Jews. He was about as anti-Semitic as it gets. Now, Martin Luther did a lot of good things too. Thank the Lord for the Reformation and some of that other stuff. I'm thankful for that, but he was really, really wrong. Uh, he wrote a whole book about the Jews and you, you'll be shocked if you read it. It's horrifying how much he hated the Jews and thought they were worthy pretty much to be killed. Um, why did he have that worldview? It was replacement theology. We've talked about this, where in those days they thought, well, all these prophecies about Jerusalem and about Israel, well, they can't be literal. They, they must be more figurative about the church because God's done with the Jews. They crucified Jesus on the cross, they said. And so God's done with the Jew. He's forsaken the Jew. And now it's the church that we celebrate the church that, that is gonna be blessed and all that stuff. And so, what do you do? What do you do with that? Well, as it turns out, um, May 14th, and this is what we talked about a few weeks ago. Remember in Ezekiel 4, the prophecy of the 70 times curse? And we saw how the Lord said, I'm gonna restore you, but it's gonna be, remember Ezekiel laying on his side, and we talked about all this stuff, how Jerusalem would be restored, but it would be a specific time period. And we showed how the Bible even foretold, May 14th, 1948, when, when Israel would become a nation again. All the amillennialists, people who said, take the Bible figuratively, and all the stories about the second coming of Christ figuratively, we should have changed our notes right then because suddenly we have a literal nation again and a literal people and the Bible literally coming to pass. But there's so many people saying, no, nope, nope, nope. Uh, it's just a coincidence. It's a coincidence that the Jews went back to their land, um, but that's not God's people anymore, it's the church. 
Oh, but there's so many specific prophecies coming to pass. I, I, I'm saddened to see so many apathetic people saying, yeah, whatever about Israel. And a lot of the church, that's why the Catholics and the Pope always say, yeah, Israel, they need to give their land back to the Palestinians. And there's really kind of this um, pro two-state solution in a lot of the church of the Presbyterians and the Catholics. It's because they have that worldview that God's done with the Jew and Bible prophecy is not to be taken literally. And it probably shouldn't even be talked about largely in the church because they don't want to talk about it. When you go through the Bible, you kind of have to say, okay, well, what is Ezekiel saying then? Now, before we get into this, one of the arguments that they'll say, and this is the kind of the new piece that I haven't covered with you thus far, on the regathering of Israel, the argument is, Brett, the Bible says the Jews will gather one day in the kingdom when Christ rules from Jerusalem and the, the Jews will be regathered in that time, but they're gonna have faith in Christ and they're gonna be saved and believe, but that's not now. The regathering we're seeing right now is a very ungodly gathering. The Jews, they don't really believe in God and they're not gathering because they love God in Israel. So this is not a modern fulfillment of, of prophecy uh, as it relates to the Jews. That's what their argument is because the Jews are largely unsaved and I'll give them that. Uh, but aren't there Christian Jews? There's Jews for Jesus. There's a very small, tiny, tiny percentage of Jews that actually believe in Jesus, the Messiah, um, but they're, the, most of them aren't in Israel. It's very unpopular to be a Christian Jew in Israel, and it's a tough gig. I have friends that are Christian Jews in Jerusalem, and they're like, yeah, I'm like, I only know like three other people in all the city. Like, it's a very tiny population. But Brett, at least the Hasidics or the Orthodox Jews that are practicing Jews, again, very small population, and it's even arguable, like the Hasidics have such a strange theology anyway, it's hard to really call them what we would call you know, biblical thinking believers in God, uh, if you know the Hasidic way. But it's still a very tiny, tiny percent. Most of the population in Israel today is, is um, agnostic or atheist, for sure irreligious. And so the argument is, Brett, you guys are talking about Israel being regathered and, and, and they're gonna worship God and all of Israel's gonna be saved, but they're not even saved. They don't even believe in God. That's true, but they're missing this piece that Ezekiel gives us and I wanna show you. Let's take a look at it. It's Ezekiel 20 and we'll start with verse 23. We'll look at this whole chapter on Wednesday night, but verse 23 of Ezekiel says this. I lifted up mine hand unto them also in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the heathen and disperse them through the countries. Now, the context of this verse, I know I'm leaving the context out, but we'll, we'll cover this on Wednesday. I don't skip any of this stuff. But if you read the rest of the Bible and the rest of Ezekiel over and over, God says, I will scatter my people over all the earth. And that's why it's called the diaspora. It's the dispersing of the Jews around the world. Now that would happen on a microcosm here with Ezekiel and the Jews and they'd be scattered with the Babylonians and all that. That'd be kind of the, the, the first mention of this. But Ezekiel's gaze goes past the local application and he looks at the Jews being scattered all over the world. And it's more of a prophetic thing, how the Jews would be scattered, the diaspora. That's what verse 23 talks about. But then the Lord says in verse 33, let's fast forward here in the chapter, verse 33, the Lord says, as I live, saith the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and with a stretched out arm and with fury poured out will I rule over you. 
and I will bring you out from the people and will gather you out of the countries wherein you are scattered with a mighty hand and with a stretched out arm and with fury poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the people and there will I plead with you face to face like as I pleaded with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will plead with you, saith the Lord God, and I will cause you to pass under the rod and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. This is where Ezekiel's talking about the regathering of Israel, but did you notice it's not this warm, fuzzy gathering. You know, the problem is a lot of us think, oh, the gathering of Israel is so wonderful, and it is. The Jews are returning to the land, and they are. But, but at the same time, they're largely atheistic or agnostic and not believing in God. Should we be excited about that? The answer is yes. Does it have to do with Bible prophecy? Yes. Don't dismiss this. That's the problem. People say because they're unbelieving Jews gathering, it's not anything to do with Bible prophecy today. But here Ezekiel says, I am going to, with an outstretched arm, do you realize that's a phrase that we don't recognize, but it's an idiom of the Jews to say with an outstretched arm, that's, that's in wrath. That's not a, a warm, fuzzy thing. It's like, you know, when your uh, parent with an outstretched arm paddles your behind. Paddles your behind. Well, did you see what God says there in verse 37? I will cause you to pass under the rod and I will bring to you the bond of the covenant. God made a covenant, a promise to the Jews, the Abrahamic covenant, um, where he made an everlasting covenant with the Jews. By the way, the people that say that God is done with the Jews, they're making God a liar by saying God broke his covenant with the Jews um, and he doesn't care about the Jews anymore. And that would make me nervous to have that theology and I'll tell you why. Because if God says I'm bailing on the Jews because of their behavior, what keeps them from bailing on me because of my behavior? Am I better than the Jews? The answer is no. Um, God is faithful and he keeps his covenants. And this is where God says, I'm gonna with a mighty hand and outstretched arm, bring the Jews back to Israel and I'm gonna put them under the rod of correction. Kind of like the paddle, the board of correction applied to the seat of learning. That's what the Lord is gonna do. And so there's a notion here that Ezekiel touches on that might be a little different because we have this warm fuzzy, God's gathering his people because he loves them. Yes, he does. And they're gonna worship God, they will but there's gonna be a large season. Some even have divided this into two separate gatherings. That God gathers his people first for the purpose of the rod of correction. Then he's gonna gather his people again after that spanking, the tribulation period, and he's gonna gather them again because they're gonna repent and see and they're gonna be gathered around the throne in Jerusalem. Some people say it's actually two gatherings. One might say, well, it's a, a season of the Lord gathering the people in their rebellion, but they're eventually gonna come around and see, and he's gonna regather them finally in faith where they'll believe in God. Um, this, is the, this is what Ezekiel's talking about, how God with an outstretched arm in wrath and fury, he's gathering the Jews back to Jerusalem, back to Israel. Now this gets interesting because um, without the existence of Israel in Jerusalem, our Bible prophecy structure breaks down altogether. And that's why they were not believing literally. Today, the puzzle pieces are fitting together profoundly. The regathering of Israel in their land, the land of Israel, is one of the most prophesied events in all the Bible. It's talked about as much as just about anything, really. Let me give you some of my favorite uh, scriptures, and they answer this question, why is the regathering of Israel so important to you and me as Gentiles in Portland, Oregon? What do we care? 
Well, there's a lot of things that the Bible says about this. And let's, let's take a look at some of these many scriptures that were given. And you can just jot these down if you wish. Uh, and you can look them up later if you want. But I'll just go quickly through them. Ezekiel 39, verses 27 through 29. This is one of those. And this includes the millennial kingdom and the regathering even now, both the good and the bad. He says, when I have brought them again from the people and gathered them out of their enemies' lands and am sanctified in them in the sight of many nations, then shall they know that I am the Lord their God, which caused them to be led into captivity among the heathen. But I have gathered them unto their own land and have left none of them any more there. Neither will I hide my face any more from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord God. This is, you know, Ezekiel 39. We're gonna see some imagery that's really incredible, how Israel was dead. Uh, the Valley of Dry Bones, all these bones just laying out in the desert, and suddenly, clinkety-clink, the knee bone was connected to the thigh bone. Have you, have you guys seen this in the Bible? It's, it, these bones come together, and pretty soon you got these skeletons, but there's no life in the skeletons. They're just skeletons laying there. And then Ezekiel sees flesh start to come on the bones, and life breathed into them. Where are we at in this prophecy of the dry bones? We are seeing the bones clinkety-clink coming together. In unbelief, there's no life in Israel. There's, no, there's not a lot of faith among the Jews right now, but God is bringing the bones together. We're gonna see this uh, coming up here in uh, future chapters. Uh, and it's part of this gathering of the Jews from death to life. Um, Amos, the prophet Amos, uh, jumps on the same notion in Amos chapter nine, verses 14 and 15. He says, and I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. And I will plant them under their land and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. This is amazing because this prophecy of Amos has come to pass. You can check this box. Are the Jews sipping wine in their own land right now from their vineyards? Yes. This is one of the other fulfillments of Bible prophecy that's come to pass. The Bible talks about how Israel would become a barren wasteland, and it did. Under the Ottoman Turk reign, you know, centuries and centuries ago, they taxed everyone who had trees on their property. They would tax you according to how many trees you had. So what did all the people of the land do? Cut all the trees down. Now, in doing this over centuries, uh, it changed the climate of the land and Israel was no longer the land flowing with milk and honey. Read Mark Twain's writings from just over 100 years ago when he visited Israel for over a year. He you know, rode around to Israel uh, for a year and he said it's the most barren place on the planet and you couldn't find a plant for miles. It was desolate, forsaken, uh, dust bowl, desert. That's what, he, that's what he describes. Since then, the Jews have brought Israel back to life. The regathering of Jews and, and the, the science they use in horticulture and uh, watering systems and desalinization, it's incredible what the Jews have done. When I bring groups to Israel, that's one of the things I like to show them. This is a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. There's banana groves and mango trees and, and all kinds of fruit and vegetables. One of the top producers of fruits and vegetables for all of Europe is Israel. This little tiny New Jersey-sized state, uh, this nation that's the size of New Jersey, uh, from the dry, barren desert of Middle East comes all this fruit. That's a promise of the Lord saying, I will cause your land to be fruitful again. And there they are today in their land, drinking their wine, 
and eating their fruit and vegetables. But notice in this Amos passage, he says, no more will they be pulled up out of that land for it says the land is, is that which I have given them. This should end the discussion for all of you that are Christians, Bible believers, you should not agree with Wolf Blitzer, Anderson Cooper, and all these people that say, you know, the Jews don't have a right to be there. They're occupiers of that land. That's a narrative that's just not true. The Jews are the only nation that can say on three levels, they deserve to be there. One, they were given the land by the, by the world. The, the League of Nations after World War II, six million Jews killed in the Holocaust. The nations felt guilty. Our president, the last vote in the League of Nations was the deciding vote to say Israel gets that land. I mean, how many nations have been given the world? The world has said, yeah, okay, you can have the land. Secondly, the Zionist movement, starting in the 1700s, the Jews started moving to the land and purchasing land from the Bedouins and the, the desert dwellers that were there for small prices, but they, they purchased it, a lot of it. And then for, uh, thirdly, the land was also given to them by God. God says, I have given you this land and it is yours. How many nations in the world can say any of those things? Can we as Americans say we purchased the land? Well, I bought my property from, yeah, but who did he, like, what Indian did he eventually take it from? <laughs> you know, the American Indians. Uh, we took the land, uh, we conquered the land. That's what we did. Uh, did. Did we do that? Did God give us the land? Maybe, maybe not. We don't know, but the Bible says God gave Israel the land. And the world, so, so isn't it funny, the one group of people on the planet that have a right to live on that land, three, three strikes, man. The world gave it, they paid for it, God gave it to them. That's the one people group of the world saying, you guys can't have that land. You guys are occupiers. It's an amazing uh, irony, really. Uh, but it also fits the, the biblical narrative of what's gonna happen in the last days. The world's gonna hate the Jews. We'll talk about that in a second. But it's their land and they're eating the fruit and all that, just like Amos the prophet said. Jeremiah chapter 30, verses two and three says, thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel saying, write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. <clears throat> For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers and they shall possess it. Jeremiah 31, 10. I love this one because you and I are fulfilling this prophecy as we speak right here, right now. Hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations, and declare it in the isles or in the nations afar off. And say, he that scattereth Israel will gather them and keep him as a shepherd doth his flock. Did you know we're fulfilling this right now because we're nations far off declaring that the Jews were scattered by God, but they're being regathered by God. We're fulfilling this prophecy right now, little old me. I'm fulfilling this prophecy. What a privilege. You can too if you tell people about this. Um, I love that. Well, not only that, um, that, that little phrase there, you know, that's what you and I get to do. We get to declare it um, uh, far off and say that God scattered Israel, but he's gathering him back. That's a fulfillment of the Bible. Um, also, Jeremiah 33, 7. <clears throat> it says, um, and I will cause the captivity of Judah and the captivity of Israel to return and will build them as at the first. This is all promises. I'm just giving you, like this is only scratching the surface of how much the Bible has to say. Um, finally, Ezekiel 37, verses 21 and 22 says, and say unto them, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whither they be gone, and I will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. 
and I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel. By the way, the mountains of Israel is an idiom in the Bible talking about the West Bank specifically. That's one of the more contested areas of Israel is the West Bank. And the Bible calls the West Bank the mountains of Israel. That's something you should know about. So it begs the question, is Israel a fulfillment, a modern day fulfillment of Bible prophecy? And I would argue the answer is yes. Even though they're gathering in unbelief, not believing in the Lord. See, the reason we we have to be careful about this one is some of you might falsely think, well, Brett thinks the Jews can do no wrong because they're God's chosen people. I'm not saying that. I'm saying they're not even believers in God, mostly. I can't defend everything the Jews have done or I can't even say they're being perfect or anything like that. I do believe God's hands on them, whether they know it or not. I do believe God has a massive plan and a love for those people. And I also believe that um, the Bible's clear that they're gonna be little rascals until they know Jesus. I use that term little rascals like you and I are sinners, little rascals if you would. Um, So Israel is fulfilling Bible prophecy uh, today, the regathering of the Jews, that's what we're seeing. Now, one thing I love about the United States of America is historically and traditionally, we have been one of the few faithful supporters of Israel and the Zionist movement. Even from our early founders, they were saying, we support Israel. Um, And I love that about our nation. Um, One thing you need to know, it's only in recent years the United States has taken a more um, unfriendly approach to the Jews in Israel. Do you know that? I hope you understand in your lifetime and mine, we've seen a big change. Um, uh, Do you wanna know who, if you ask the Jew, I'm not being political here. By the way, people say, Brett, you shouldn't talk politics. Listen, I can say whatever I want. I just wanna make that clear, like right now. Uh, That's that's important. but, but the, the point is, I don't wanna be political, that's not my desire, but I wanna be biblical and tell you stuff that's true. And, and the Bible, care, like people say, you shouldn't talk about this because you're being political. No, the Bible says, I will bless the nation that curse, blesses Israel and I will curse the nation that curses Israel. And do you understand, if you go to Jerusalem today, if you say, hey, what do you think of Obama administration and the way they treated Israel? They might spit on you in the street. They hated the Obama administration, why? Because Obama said things like, we need to get Israel borders back to 1967. And if, if you know the politics of what that says, most people don't know, oh, 67 borders, great, whatever that was, it would be death to Jews. You have to understand that. The, the old borders of 67 would be back to where Israel, the Jewish area is like nine miles wide. And um, there would, there'd be no way to defend their nation just geographically. Like it's an amazing uh, thing that our president said that. So I remember Joey and I, we were walking down the street there by the Damascus Gate in, in Jerusalem. And this, this college kid came walking up and he had a newspaper with a picture of Obama because Obama was doing at that time the um, Iran nuclear deal, which the Jews knew that that was a paved road for the Iranians to have a nuclear missile. And the Iranians are saying, we wanna blow Israel off the map. So this student walks up to me and shows me the newspaper and Joey, and he says, you know, Obama, and he throws the paper on the ground, spits on it and stomps on it, and then he says, America, and then he walks off. <laughs> We're like, wow. And so what do we do with that? Well, what about Trump? Well, when Trump came in, he's called the most friendly president toward his will. Love him or hate him. Not making an argument for or against the person, Donald Trump. I'm just gonna say, if you go to Jerusalem and ask him, what do you think about Trump? They'll say, Oh, he's like Cyrus to us. Cyrus was historically a guy who 
delivered Israel and, and all this stuff. But, but they've, they've named streets after Donald Trump in Jerusalem. There's a train that they built and they call it the Trump train. <laughs> like, it's so funny. Now, the reason that's funny is because, you know, a lot of Americans like Trump, you know, we don't like him or whatever, but the Jews are thankful because he did two major things. He said, no other president in our history was willing to do this to say, you know what? Jerusalem is in fact the capital city of Israel. No other American acknowledged that formally until Trump. All the other presidents said they would do that. Clinton, Bush, Bush, um, Obama, all said they would declare Jerusalem the capital, but none of them did it because they were worried about the, the, the Arab you know, uprising that would happen afterward. Trump just did it and there was no uprising and the Jews are eternally thankful for America finally in the, in the international community saying Jerusalem is the capital city of, of Israel. Another thing Trump did is he acknowledged the Golan Heights as Israeli, uh, which is another thing the world says, no, no, it's occupied territory. And, and, and so, so the Jews, the, the friendliest administration was the former Trump administration. The most hostile administration, some would argue from the beginning of our nation was the Obama, and then now the Biden, which is just a carryover. Um, do you understand Christians, Bible readers, prophecy buffs, that missiles stopped flying from Gaza during the Trump administration. But as soon as Biden gets back in, what happens? 4,000 missiles in 11 days fly from Hamas into Israel, Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. Uh, and there's a reason for that. It's because the United States is not standing behind Israel with this current, they, they have a sort of a, uh, a fake notion of supporting Israel. But here's all these rockets flying and, and, and the Biden is now, now, Israel, you guys be nice to those Hamas people down there. What would we do if we had 4,000 missiles flying into Washington, D.C.? Would we be nice? No, we would defend our country. At least I would hope we would do that. The reason that's important is what we see with the nations and Israel and the anti-Semitism and the hatred for the Jews that we're seeing around the world today we uh, traditionally as the United States have been supporters of Israel. All the way back to our founding fathers. I came across this uh, when I was reading about um, you know, John Adams and he was, said something that I think is just amazing because it's easier to say this today if you know the history of Israel, but he said it a couple hundred years ago. Um, he said, I will insist that the Hebrews have done more to civilize men than any other nation. If I were an atheist and believed in blind eternal fate, I should still believe that fate had ordained the Jews to be the most essential instrument for civilizing nations. If I were an atheist of the other sect who believe or pretend to believe that all is ordered by chance, I should believe that chance had ordered the Jews to preserve and propagate to all mankind the doctrine of a supreme, intelligent, wise, almighty sovereign of the universe which I believe to be the great essential principle of all morality and, the, and consequently of all civilization. This is like, this is like uh, our early founding fathers of our nation saying the Jews are God's people, sovereignly put there to be a testimony of God's reality. Count von Zinzendorf, who? Von Zinzendorf, this guy from the 1700s, he was a brilliant thinker and a, a person who believed in God. And some atheists grilled him and said, give us a defense. Tell us why you believe God exists. And von Zinzendorf wisely, he said, I will give you two words, the Jews. And it's really a great argument. 
If you know what happened to the Jews over history, and even back in the 1700s when Count von Zinzendorf said that, it was harder to see, but today it's so obvious. God has had his hand on the Jewish people, whether they were faithful or not. That's his covenant that he's gonna wake them up to after the tribulation period, a covenant that's everlasting, a promise that he has for the Jews. But John Adams was one who recognized this. Now, what's interesting uh, is we have stood by the uh, nation Israel uh, traditionally as Americans because we're a Bible-believing, or we at least once were, a Bible-believing nation. We were a godly nation. Broke my heart when Obama said, we are no longer a Christian nation. And I think, man, that's a bummer that he said that because it's probably true. He's probably right. We've become kind of a wacko nation, largely. But John Adams you know, showed, and I could go into all the history of the United States, but we have a godly heritage that I love so much. But this is where it gets interesting. Do you ever wonder why the Jews, or if the Jews wonder, why do the United States support us? Now, now you can say, because we're on the correct side of things. Well, why isn't anybody else in the world supporting Israel? Why does Europe largely hate the Jews? Why are the United States kind of the last one standing with the Jews? There's actually a reason that I think you need to know, and that's because we're historically a Bible-thinking Christian nation. And because we believe the Bible and we believe God's plan for the Jews, we have stood by Israel when other nations didn't. The European nations long ago, the Europe's, Europeans uh, sides mostly with the Arabs, largely because Europe's becoming very Arab. Uh, and, and they're not Bible-believing people. They haven't been for a long, long time, much of Europe. I had an interesting dinner a couple years ago. I'll show a picture. I got to have dinner with Yair Netanyahu. This is Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel's son. And this was fun to be able to talk with him, but he was on a tour around the country trying to you know, bolster American support for Israel. But the funny thing about Yair, I love this guy, um, smart guy, but he's a secular Jew. He's, he's not a religion person. And he thinks that the argument for the United States sticking with Israel is um, that they're the only friend we have in the Middle East. That was his argument. And that the economy is good and, and technology is good and, and having a friend in Israel is gonna be helpful. He was trying to make this argument, but I was able to say, you know what though? Do you, do you understand why we Americans actually really do stand with you? It's not because of the economy or having a friend in the Middle East, as much as those are true and nice things. That's not why we stand with Israel. The reason the United States has traditionally stood by Israel is because we believe the Bible. It's that evangelical Christian bunch in America that has been as loud as can be saying, we need to support Israel. And see, he, he doesn't really understand that. He's like, that doesn't register. How could a, a religious group in America, and why would you guys even care about Israel for religious reasons? And I was able to share with them even that night, hey, listen, your Hebrew Bible says, I will bless the nations that bless Israel, and I will curse the nations that curse Israel. And the reason the United States has been blessed is because we've stood by you from the very beginnings of our country. I was able to explain to him, the Bible says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem for they shall prosper that love thee. People that love Israelis and love Jerusalem, the Bible says they're gonna prosper. But if you go against Jerusalem and you go against Israel, you're gonna falter and you're gonna fail. Um, I hope one day that Yair comes to know Jesus and it's very likely he will if we are living in the last days. Because remember, when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, all of Israel will be saved. Um, so I'm, I'm praying for him. 
But largely this, this issue of, of Israel and its flourishing and the regathering of the Jews, all of this stuff, fulfilling Bible prophecy, um, the, the, the thing that's kind of important for you to understand is this unbelieving Jew that we're seeing, like, ben, like Benjamin Netanyahu's son, uh, an unbeliever, why would we be behind someone like that? Because we see God's plan unfolding. Even though it's the unbelieving Jew that's gathering right now, we know there's coming a time. Now, Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum, <laughs> maybe some of you have heard of him. He's a great scholar, Hebrew scholar. Um, but he said something and he kind of nailed down what Ezekiel 20, our text, is telling us about all the stuff we're talking about. And he's a, he's a fairly cerebral guy, so forgive me, but I wanna read just one of his clarifications and his papers on this, just a part of it. He says, the reestablishment of the Jewish state in 1948 has not only thrown a wrench in amillennial thinking, remember the people that don't believe literal uh, Bible translate or literal Bible prophecy, they say it's all figurative. He says, Israel becoming a nation again has put a wrench in that amillennial thinking, but it also has put a chink in much of premillennial thinking. Amazingly, some premillennialists have concluded that the present state of Israel has nothing to do with the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. For some reason, the present state somehow does not fit their scheme of things, and so the present state becomes merely an accident of history. That's what much of the church believes. Oh, the Jews are back in Israel. What a coincidence. That's what they're saying. But he says, on what grounds is the present state of Israel so dismissed? The issue that bothers so many premillennialists is the fact that not only have the Jews returned in unbelief with regard to the person of Jesus, but the majority of the ones who have returned are not even Orthodox Jews. In fact, the majority are atheists or agnostics. Certainly then Israel does not fit with all those biblical passages dealing with the return of Israel. For it is a regenerated or saved nation that the Bible speaks of. And the present state of Israel hardly fits that picture. So on these grounds, the present state is dismissed as not being a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. However, the real problem is the failure to see that the prophecy spoke of two international returns of Jews. First, there was to be a regathering in unbelief in preparation for judgment, namely the judgment of the tribulation. Keep that in mind. That the Jews are being regathered for the tribulation? Yep. This was to be followed by a second worldwide regathering in faith in preparation for blessing, namely the blessings of the messianic age when Christ comes, his second coming. Once it is recognized that the Bible speaks of these two such regatherings, it's easy to see how the present state of Israel fits completely into modern Bible prophecy. Dr. Arnold Fruchtemann kind of spells out what is so important for us, and this is the part I want you to see, is even though Israel's unbelieving, it's all part of God's plan to gather his people. And here's what our text says. Let's go back and just think through this for a second. Our text, Ezekiel 20, um, says that God with a mighty arm and an outstretched hand is gonna bring them and put them under the rod of correction, this, this rod spoken of in verse 37. What's God gonna do? Is he gonna kind of spank the Jews with his rod? Yes. That's what's gonna happen. The Jews have been rebellious for these thousands of years. And while we love Israel, and we know God has a plan for Israel, largely the Jews have been rebellious against God 
And God's gonna do a little thing called the tribulation period. The tribulation uh, has got two main components of why it even is gonna happen. If you know your Bible, the Bible speaks of a seven year period called the tribulation period. Here's the way I believe it's gonna shake out. The church is gonna be raptured. That's the next thing on the list of things to do. We're gonna be taken up out of here. Why? Well, because you and I are not gonna be here when God, number one, pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting sinful world. Because we're the bride of Christ. Does God pour out his wrath on the bride as well? No, no he takes the righteous out before he pours out his wrath. Read your Old Testament. Every time God pours out his wrath, he pulls the righteous out. Noah was pulled out before the flood. Lot and his family pulled out before the Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed. And, uh, and that's what the Lord's gonna do with you and I. He's gonna pull us out, the bride of Christ, the church, because we're Jesus followers. Um, and so the tribulation period is to pour out God's wrath on a Christ-rejecting sinful world. The second component of the tribulation is to wake up the Jews, to wake up the nation. Uh, pour out a wrath on the world, but to wake up the Jews. The tribulation period is largely, largely that rod of correction God's gonna use to wake up Jewish people. What, a, what an important part of that that you need to understand. Now, the reason I'm, I'm glad that we're not part of that and, and we can be comforted in this, I just remind you of 1 Thessalonians 5, verses nine through 11, where it says, God has not appointed us, the Christians, to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep or alive or dead, uh, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even also as you do. We are not appointed unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus. That's, that's such good news. I hope you're a Christian. Whether you're a Jew or Gentile, I hope that you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins because that wrath that we deserve was placed upon Jesus. And anyone who will confess and believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, they won't be appointed to this wrath. Jesus took the wrath that would be you know, meant for, for, for us. So all that to say, um, Matthew then talks about after the tribulation period, um, the Jews are gonna go through a time of brut brutal wrath. It's gonna be brutal. But at the end of that time, there's the battle of Armageddon, the world's gonna hate the Jews, and there's gonna be a battle against the Jews. But it says at the end of the tribulation, Matthew 24, verse 31, it says, and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. This is where at the end of the tribulation, that final gathering of Jews, but this time it'll be in total belief. And by the way, the tribulation period is one of the more well-defined periods in all the world's history, prophetically. Uh, we know how this is all gonna go down. We know that there's a coming world leader and he's gonna set himself up to be worshiped. He's gonna make a peace treaty with the Jews. Like this is spelled out in the Bible, what the tribulation is gonna look like. But at the end of that time period, the Jews are gonna see they've been duped by this coming world leader and they'll realize that Jesus is in fact the Messiah and all of Israel will be saved. So what we're seeing is the whole stage for the tribulation for God to gather his people and put them under the rod of his correction in the tribulation, that's stuff that's happening right now. You and I are seeing that come into place, but not only the gathering of the Jews, but also the hatred for the Jews. Has, has any of it, anybody in this room watched the news this week and wondered why does the world hate the Jews so much? I mean, anti-Semitism, that's what the news is talking about right now. 
Um, it's, it's an amazing, amazing thing that uh, we're seeing around the world, the hatred for the Jews. What about that? How does that play into the, the picture of the, 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 the Jews being regathered, but the world hating? And it's not just you know those people. The United States is one of the worst places on the planet for Jews. The BBC, the British, came out with this article, I think it was yesterday. Um, who's behind the recent rise in US anti-Semitic attacks? And this uh, BBC News article goes on and, and, and um, basically explains um, what's going on in the world. And it's, it's really quite profound. Um, in fact, um, it says this, violence and harassment targeting American Jews have, have broke out coast to coast in the United States amid the 11 days of fighting between Israelis and Palestinians. You know the rockets that I was talking about flying from Hamas right now. But during that, there's been violence all over our country. Incidents included outdoor diners in Los Angeles who were physically attacked by a group of carry, uh, people carrying Palestinian flags. Does anybody know who that group was that, that carries Palestinian flags and is uh, violent against Jews? Antifa, who knew it? Antifa is suddenly pro-Palestinian pro and anti-Semitic. They hate the Jews. Um, it's not a shock if you've been following Antifa. Black Lives Matter came out just this last week in support of uh, Palestinians and, and against the Jews, the big shocker there. Um, but there's a real hatred for the Jews. Incidents of violence have happened in New York City. Uh, homes, uh, home, oh, New York, by the way, is home to the largest population of Jews other than Israel. Um, the Nazi imagery has been posted on synagogues everywhere from New York to Alaska, uh, even this past week. Pro-Palestinian uh, protests and anti-Jewish vandalism have happened in synagogues all over the country, which are quickly stepping up security due to the attacks. We've also seen them documented in Illinois and in Florida. All over this country, in the last few weeks, we see anti-Semitism and a hatred for the Jews on the rise. We see the mainstream media having this narrative that um, you know, big, brutal, bully Israel is fighting these poor little tiny Arab countries. Um, I heard Wolf Blitzer a few years back say, you know, it's like David versus Goliath, these Jews coming against these poor little, he got his idiom backwards. Uh, David was the Jew, Goliath was the Palestinian. He was a Philistine, that's where the word Palestine, like Wolf doesn't know his history. Hello? Plus, the Israelis are a tiny, tiny nation in the midst of a giant Arab group of nations. Like, it's such an unfair thing. And yet, the narrative of the world is to hate the Jews. And we're seeing that ramp up. Well, Brad, fortunately, we don't see that in Portland. <laughs> Check this out. Um, there was an article that came out of Breitbart uh, on the 27th, just a few days ago. Terrifying. Filmmaker gets Portland College students to donate to Sham Hamas Fund to kill Jews. Now this filmmaker, uh, actually, it, this is laughable if it wasn't so terrifying. This, this guy's a full-on Jew, his name's Horowitz. Uh, and he, he goes down to Portland State just a few days ago and he acts like he wants to kill Jews and the Jews need to die. And so I brought this video because I wanna show you, this is, this is the way our college students here in Portland are so easily convinced. Check this out. <laughs> In order to get peace and love, you gotta destroy things. 
Um, and that's what they believe. And these kids were giving him his money. He wants to uh, support the idea of blowing up cafes and, and malls and schools and hospitals because that's the only way they can fight. And these, why, why would college students either, A, either the dumbest people on the planet, or B, they've been brainwashed by the college professors and universities which, in which they attend. And, and I want to tell you, mom and dad, when you send junior off to college, these schools, it's not an education, it's an indoctrinization. And it's, it's brainwashing and it's wacko. But that's why so many of these weird, you know, Portlanders and Antifa and all these people have this worldview that's so misguided. And we've just gone and sat and watched this for decades now where our school systems, teachers, from elementary school all the way through college, there's this brainwashing going on about a worldview that is very much opposed to what God says we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to think. At the same time, this is actually just a fulfillment of Bible prophecy that the world will hate the Jews and they'll, they'll wanna destroy the Jews. So here's these kids giving 10, 15 bucks to this guy who wants to blow up Jews in cafes and, and schools. Like that's, that's, to me, that's pretty crazy. Uh, welcome to Portland. So you say, Brett, this is a little depressing, but what does it mean for you and me? Actually, there's some really good things. Three quick things and we're gonna be done. Number one, time is short. What this means is you and I are seeing things that the Bible says would happen in the last days, the regathering of the Jews and the, the hating of the Jews, even anti-Semitism, as bad as that is, that's part of the deal. That's the situation that has to be existing in the world for the end times to really unfold. And we're seeing that unfold. So the rapture of the church could be soon. You and I are supposed to think about that and know that. First Thessalonians 5, after chapter four mentions the rapture of the church, then it says, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. You and I are not taken as a thief in the night because we know the times and the seasons. And everything that I'm talking about today is pointing us to the fact that the rapture of the church could be soon. Time is short. Time to, time to think about the Lord's return and his rapture, which brings us to the second, what do we do about all this? We need to be busy. Busy about the gospel. Busy sharing the good news with the lost world. Don't forget, ever forget, Matthew 28, Jesus gave you and me and us the great commission. Go ye and therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. That's what we're doing here at Athey. We're trying to preach the, the gospel, the good news to the whole world, whoever will hear. And uh, you know, one thing I love about Athey Creek is our reach. We're trying to reach further um, than we ever have. And it's something we never really tried to do at first, but by the grace of God, the gospel message is reaching places we would have never imagined. People that are gathering and watching uh, uh, because there's not a lot of churches these days that'll just say, here's what the Bible says. So we have people you know, checking out these teachings online all over the world. Uh, and it's because we're saying, here's what the Bible says. Here's the gospel, let's look to Jesus. You and I should be busy. These are not times to be lazy, saying, oh, things are crazy. We got UFOs flying around, we got pandemics, we've got you know, uh, Nancy Pelosi, things are crazy. <laughs> but, but what we do is instead of whining about everything, we should be preaching the gospel and being salt and light. And that brings me to my final admonition of what we do with all this, be of good cheer. 
The Lord knows exactly what's going on. He's got a plan that's unfolding. And you and I, instead of freaking out or going, I can't believe people hate the Jews, as much as we should be against anti-Semitism, understand God knows what's going on. He's not going, oh no, people are being hated. Oh no, Israel, nations hate Israel. Oh no, no, that's not, that's not what we do. We don't freak out. We, we trust that the Lord knows. And it's not just for the world, but for you personally. What does the Bible say? The prophet Jeremiah said in 29:11. Jeremiah says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Um, some of your newer translations says to give you a future and a hope. Future and a hope. And that's, that's what we have to look forward to. So be of good cheer. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in Jesus. That's what the Bible says. And we can put our trust in him. Man, I know if you're a Christian, you and I have nothing to fear. And the best day of our lives is when the rapture of the church happens. That could be soon. If you're not a Christian, it's time to accept the Lord and believe. Repent of your sins. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you're perfectly forgiven to just give your life to the Lord and say, Lord, I believe I'm a sinner. Acknowledge your sin before God and say, Lord, would you forgive me for my sins? And to believe that when Jesus came and died on the cross for the sins of the world, that, he, that you're accepting that for yourself. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. The question is, have you accepted that gift? Because that's what the Lord requires of you, simply to accept it. Um, how easy is that? Uh, and if you've never done that, this is a day to be saved. Don't wait any longer. The days are short. And you don't wanna be on the, the side of God's wrath. You wanna be on the side of God's mercy and his forgiveness and his love. Let's pray together. And Lord, we're thankful that your word gives us everything we need to know um, what your plan and what your purpose is for the world. Forgive us, Lord, as the greater church that has blown off whole Bible chapters and books because we don't think they're relevant for today. Meanwhile, Lord, your word just rings true time and time again, explaining exactly what we're seeing, that Lord, your people, Israel and Jerusalem is that epicenter of all things Bible prophecy, Lord, we see that. So I pray in light of that, that we'd not be a sleepy church, but instead watching, sober, waiting, preaching the good news of the gospel, busy about the work of the kingdom, Lord, that's what we pray. And Father, I pray that you'd just cause this word just to sink into our hearts, Lord, that we might be bold in our faith. So bless your church. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.